y'all. Welcome back to Gilmore to Read. I'm your host, Haley, and I'm very excited for this episode today. Now, normally on the first Thursday of June, we would be talking about the books from our May book club picks, Happy Place and the Idiot, but we'll be talking about those later this month because today I have a very special guest. If you listened to the last episode of Gilmore to Read, where I talked about Seven Days in June by Tia Williams, which was our April pick for reading Sexy, I mentioned that I was trying to get Tia on the pod, and she got back saying that she would love to come on and that she was a massive Gilmore Girls fan, so today is my conversation with Tia. Um, If you have not yet read Seven Days in June, that's perfectly fine. I feel like this is still a perfect episode for you to listen to, to get to know Tia and what the book is about, we do talk pretty generally until a very specific point, in which case I will let you know when we're about to get into some spoilers. I will also put them in the show notes so that if you have not yet read it, but you still want to get to know Tia and hear what the book is about and maybe still pick it up, you can hit pause, go read the book, come back and press play. And before we get into my conversation with Tia, I know I mentioned this on the podcast earlier this week, but if you do want to join us in either of our book clubs for the month of June, where you read I will follow is reading Yellow Face by RF Kuang. And I have to be totally honest, um, I bought the book in preparation for the book club to start it this weekend with all of you. And there is a high likelihood that I finished it the day that I got it. Um, I will neither confirm nor deny it. But it's highly likely that may have possibly happened, so I am very excited to discuss that book with all of you this month. Um, Our reading a sexy pick is Funny Feelings by Tara DeWitt, which a lot of you liked that I mentioned that it's kind of alternate universe Luke and Lorelai, a grumpy sunshine, friends to lovers, with a little bit of fake dating. Tara DeWitt has already agreed to come on and talk to us about Funny Feelings. She is also a big fan of Gilmore Girls, and I'm very excited to get to that. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, back to this episode and my conversation with Tia. Tia Williams had a 15-year career as a beauty editor for magazines including Elle, Glamour, and Essence, which makes a lot of sense when you hear how much of a self-described pop culture junkie she is. In 2004, she pioneered the beauty blog industry with Shake Your Beauty. She wrote best-selling novel The Accidental Diva and penned two YA novels It Chicks and Sixteen Candles. Her award-winning novel The Perfect Find has been adapted into a Netflix film starring Gabrielle Union that will come out later this month. Her latest novel, Seven Days in June, which we talk about here, was an instant New York Times and USA Today bestseller and has a TV series adaptation in development, which we mention at the end of this. She's currently working on her next two novels, one of which is a YA starring Audrey, who is Eva's daughter in Seven Days in June, which I'm very excited about. Tila's with her daughter and husband in Brooklyn, where she was kind enough to call in from and give me a little bit of her time to talk about what Gilmore Girls team she's on what scene she loves from Gilmore Girls that she thinks is one of the best scenes from television. She talks about how Boslerman's Romeo and Juliet inspired Seven Days in June and how her fascination with old Hollywood and toxic mothers influenced the mother-daughter relationships in Seven Days in June. Um, I had such a fun time talking to her. She's such a thoughtful, funny, creative person, and I'm so grateful that we got to have her on the podcast. So without further ado, here is Tia Williams. Tia, thank you so much for joining me today on Gilmore to Read. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited and I'm a massive Gilmore Girls fan. So this is a pleasure. I'm so excited. When you when I reached out to you, I was like unsure, you know, when I sent it, I kind of crossed my fingers behind my back because I was like, you don't have to be interested in Gilmore Girls. We're just going to talk about your book. But when you got back, you literally said you're a massive Gilmore Girls fan, which I was so excited to hear. <laughs> oh, yeah, I I love 
I watched every episode in real time. I've seen, I've rewatched it. Yeah, I love it. No, that's actually what I was going to ask you about. Because like me, I feel like I'm a bit of an obsessive fan. Because as you know, like my whole podcast is about Gilmore Girls. So I like to kind of like get from people like what their relationship with the show is. Um, So you said you watched it in real time. I did. I watched it in real time. Um, Yeah, I just always... You know, I loved the banter. I loved the little New England town. I loved Lorelai and Rory. I was, I was a Rory growing up, like this very brainy, very focused, never even really felt like a teenager kind of person, a little too serious, very type A. And I just really related to her. And, you know, the, I love the people in the town. I loved Lorelai's character arc and everything she went through was just so fascinating of course at the time as I was watching it I had no idea that in my future was being a single mother of a daughter and having my own sort of Lorelai Rory type of situation so yeah it resonated even more once I was walking in their shoes yeah that's what I was going to ask you like the perspective shift of like watching this you know it's like a single unattached woman then shifting into single motherhood and like the perspective I guess from going from a Rory to a Lorelai yeah I mean it was something you just never really expect that that is going to be your story you know I was I was it's a little bit different I mean I wasn't a teenager I was right. grown up and I was married and I you know had the we had a daughter and then we got divorced and he was also unlike what was the dad's name Chris Chris yeah, yeah. unlike Chris he was he's always been very involved and you know we live near each other in Brooklyn and we share custody of our daughter who is now a teenager and into Gilmore Girls herself oh, I love that um, but yeah, I found myself, you know, a, a single mom. Um, and it was from the time she was 11 months. So we really grew, you know, we've, it's always been just her and I, and you get, you've sort of built this estrogen bubble, this mother daughter thing, and you have your own rituals and inside jokes and language. It's like your, you know, your own country population too. I can relate to their story even more now. Yeah, no, I definitely want to get back to that because I feel like that's a perfect sort of like segue into 70s in June. But when I mentioned that you were going to be on the podcast and all of the people who read this, I got this question for you a dozen times, which I'm sure you know what it is, which is what team are you? Um, That's like always the question that everyone is dying to know if you're like Logan, Jess, Dean, wherever you fall there. Yes. Without question. I, I got that vibe a little bit from Shane. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're kind of, they're very similar. And I mean, Jess was just so dreamy. I mean, a short king, yes. Yeah. Which is, you know, I'm I'm 5'9", so that's always been like, God, I just wish he was a little bit taller. But um, no, I mean, he's a reader. He's brooding. He's dark. He's stormy. Like, one of my favorite scenes in TV, period, is when... Rory is in front of the house. I don't remember the situation. And she's struggling with the water hose oh, yeah. thing. There's the sprinkler and he just, system. Like, the sprinkler system. Yeah. And he just like walks by, fixes it, and walks, and I was like, oh, and yeah. like walks away. Oh, no. And they're like both drenched for some and reason, even though it's not that wet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love it. The best part of that is that like Dean is going to come and help her. So he turns it back on. Yeah. So good. And he knows that he has one up on Dean. Yeah. 
Totally. And like, it's that, it's that feeling of like a little bit star-crossed lovers. And like, that's actually like a really good segue into why I picked Seven Days in June for our book club. Cause uh, Gilmore to Read is two book clubs. It's where you read I Will Follow, where we're trying to read books like Rory or books that Rory would read because Rory read a lot of books by dead white men. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to like, you know, diversify her bookshelf by like books that she might have read. And then the book club where Seven Days in June was the selection for April is called Reading is Sexy. And I want it to be like one of two things, which is like people come to me a lot asking me what books to read that feel like Gilmore Girls. And the other part of that is I kind of want to trick people into reading like romance or women's fiction based mm-hmm. on if they like Gilmore Girls that they might like reading this and so one of the reasons I picked Seven Days in June is like I hadn't read it yet but I knew it was a second chance romance between two writers who had fallen in love when they were younger and they mm-hmm. reconnected when they were older so I kind of got this vibe that like if you liked Jess and Rory who were together when they were older but you wanted to maybe see a storyline play out where they reconnect as adults mm. then this might be something that you like but having not read it before only really read reading the synopsis I didn't realize that this was like the perfect first pick because the witty banter the dramatic conflict the mother-daughter relationship which is arguably the best like love story in this book like I love Hmm. Eva and Shane but like Audra and Eva together like that's I think that's my favorite relationship in the book and I didn't realize just how perfect it was going to be so like it just felt like fate brought this book to our book club for the perfect first pick. Totally. And, you know, Gilmore Girls, their relationship was obviously one of my, well, not, I guess not obviously, but was a huge inspiration as was um, Happy Ending, not Happy Endings. What is the show with, um, oh, she's a single mother. She's a writer in Hollywood and she has like four daughters. What is it called? Oh, I don't know. It's the woman who played the teenager in Greece too. I can't think of the name. Oh my gosh. I have no idea. I'll have to come back around, but it's another like, you know, single mom with daughters, you know, trying to live a creative life. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'll think of it. I think that like, I initially had thought that like, this was maybe like a little bit of a Rory and Jess story, but like in Eva's like sort of like recreation of her life, it felt a lot more Lorelai and not to like wash away the story that was there, but like that was kind of like the source material kind of jumping into this. But you said that uh, it definitely affected how you wrote like Gilmore Girls. That was a question from one of our um, readers was that Mm -hmm. it really had that like strong witty banter, the pop culture references all over the place, which were amazing. So I am just a pop culture writer. So everything I've ever written has that element in it. I grew up in a pop culture house. Um, You know, I, you know, I grew up with a people magazine subscribing mother like that was kind of the thing and you know we would talk about the royals we would talk about who was nominated for the oscars we would talk about which song was number one on the billboard charts you know yeah would you wake up for like the royals weddings and of watch course them? yeah <laughs> yeah like it was it was very serious i remember watching diana's wedding when i was five years old with my grandma yeah like everything i write is pop culture and i have you know uh, my nine to five like career has was in magazines so um yeah I was a beauty editor for 15 years and you know wrote a lot of pop culture stories during that time as well so and it's funny because 
readers love it or they hate it. Like, I know a lot of people will say that like it like dates it or that like mm-hmm. it's like trying too hard. But I feel like when you hear it in like a TV show and you hear it being said out loud, it feels so different. But it's like, different. I love it in books. And I forget that people don't know me. And so it could sound like I'm trying hard to get these like, you know, references into the book where I'm actually holding back, trying not to yeah. <laughs> just the way I communicate. Yeah. And I also don't mind. I kind of like dating the books. I love like old pieces of media. Like, you know, I collect magazines from the fifties, sixties and seventies. Like I grew up watching old movies and I love finding those timestamps in there. Like, yeah. I love that. No, and I, I I think that's something so great about the book is, like, that it's not just, like, popular things. Because I think there are some books that, like, only popular references, only current references really dates it. But Eva has so many references from her own childhood that, like, mm-hmm. all the way to Audra. So there's, like, it's almost like dating the timeline of the whole story, which I think is actually really smart. Right. I like that. I think it's fun, like, knowing. Sometimes I'm reading a book and I'm like, this feels like it dropped out of the sky nowhere. Yeah. Like, it, I don't feel grounded unless, what is she wearing? What is she listening to? Like, what what's going on? Who is she obsessing over? Yeah. You know, in Hollywood. <laughs> One of my favorites was um, when Audra was, like, asking Eva what she should do because she wasn't on her phone. She was said, uh, read Goosebumps and listen to Usher like I did. Yeah. I love that so much. <laughs> I think that, and I took that very seriously because, you know, I'm not Eva's age. I'm 15 years older than Eva. So I was like, okay, Eva was a teenager in the early aughts. What would she have been doing? You know, like that was intentional. It's perfect. I want to get into Seven Days in June because for anyone who has not read it, I definitely want to give them the chance to fall in love with your book before we get into the spoilers. I will alert anyone who has not read it when we get into a little bit of a spoiler chat. I'll also include it in the show notes so you know when it's coming. But something that I'm sure that you've completely perfected at this point, which is what Seven Days in June is about. It's funny. Authors never perfect that. Really? (laughs) Because it's this big layered thing. And it's like, how do you condense it? You'd be like, I wrote it. Read it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Um, Okay. So it is um, about two famous authors who seemingly meet for the first time at a book event in Brooklyn and sparks fly. But unbeknownst to everyone who's there, they're not meeting for the first time. They actually know each other because 15 years prior, they had one torrid week together. Their senior year of high school, they ran away from home um, and they fell in like wild, toxic teenage hormonal love. And then they went their separate ways after the week and didn't speak again until they saw each other at this event. And what we find out is that they have been secretly communicating to each other over the years through their books. Um, yeah, so there's like, takes place, you know, modern day and then in flashbacks. And it came out of me watching um, one of my comfort movies, which is Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Oh, yes. And with Leo and Kate. The oh. best one. The only yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> Leo and Claire. Leo yeah, and Claire. Yeah. And um, I just got to the end and I never thought about this, but I was like, well, what if? Romeo and Juliet didn't die. Like, what if they yeah. actually survived and grew up and became like 
35 year olds with 401ks and yeah. they've been to therapy oh and they're like God, functioning adults. That. Like, yeah, what would happen if they ran into each other again? Would it still be this great big love? Does love have an expiration date? So these were the questions I was thinking. Oh gosh, I love that so much. Cause that's like really like the, that's like a real like violent act of love that Romeo and Juliet have. And they, they just like walked away from that. How would that affect? Oh gosh. I never thought of that about this. Cause I've, it's also a cover movie of mine, but I never yeah. saw that in this book. I'm going to have to reread it from that perspective. Cause that's, that's amazing. I love that. I love your mind. That's incredible. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, what was, I guess, like from beyond that, like first, like initial thought, what was the first sort of, I guess, like piece that came to you from this book? Was it like a character that started talking to you or like, was it like this idea that you tried to like move through, like who these two people would be? Well, the first thing I thought of was teenage Eva and Shane. Um, I remember I was at work and I just had this scene come into my head with this like sort of a little weird loner type girl showing up, you know, on the first day of school and she has no one to talk to. And then she spots another loner on the bleachers and she goes up to him and they have this like really charged conversation. And I wrote it on my lunch break. It was the first thing I wrote. And that was the first time even Shane meet when they're in high school. Yeah. I love that it started with the beginning because I think that's something that's so, which we can get into a little bit more with the spoilers, but like, I don't think that people realize how difficult it is to write a book that is this easy to read because like it has yeah. not only like multiple point of views as the dual timeline. And there's all of these little pieces that like when you learn them in the present timeline that like you kind of just mm -hmm. wash by but when you learn about them in the past you're like oh she's trying to kill me <laughs> and then yeah. like, things that you learn about in the um the past that when they come back and you realize how long and how deeply it affected them like it mm -hmm. just feels like this magic trick that you did of like this very layered story that's so easy to read that I think that people take for granted how complicated that was for you to execute something like that but you did like masterfully wonderfully um what was that Thank process you. like getting all of that right? Um, it's like math. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really more scientific than it sounds yeah. <laughs> like putting, making sure all these pieces fit together, making sure your timeline is correct, making sure the personalities, like there's a through line between the teen, teenage them and the modern day them. I was really inspired by it, the Stephen King novel. Really? Um, because it's a little different than this book. <laughs> a little different. It's my favorite book of all really? time. Wow. And just the way that he exactly like you're saying, sort of puts Easter eggs in the past that help you understand what's happening in the present and vice versa. Um it's like little treats sprinkled in for the reader and that explain the modern day story that you're reading. So it's like the past acting as like a plot motivator. Oh yeah. Cause like there's, I won't mention what they are until the, the second part, but I was reading back through our book club cause it's on fable and we talk chapter by chapter so that nothing mm -hmm. gets spoiled. But I love those moments when those things connect and like the readers just start screaming, like because right. of like how those things connect. But 
one of the things that I love about writers who write about writers, um, especially when it comes to Eva, is because I feel like there's like another layer to her, is that because she has this past that she's kind of running away from, she writes a new life for herself Mm -hmm. once you get further through the book, that there's that moment of like, she's afraid to show someone the part of herself that she's not talking Mm -hmm. about, but then the only person that really knows is the person that shows up. And, Mm -hmm. and I just, I think that the layers of like the storytelling to the writers that not just writing their books, um, from a writer is just, well, I think for me, it was a little bit of wish fulfillment because another layer of Eva is that she has chronic daily, totally debilitating migraines, which I have too. And like Eva, I've had them since I was little and it's an everyday terrible you know burden and you look completely fine which is an added layer of weirdness because you're not being perceived as a sick a sick person even though you really are um and when I was writing this I was extremely single and (laughs) and more than okay with it because I was like, God, the exhaustion of having to pretend to be okay in front of someone again. Yeah. And then that look on their face when they realize that you're actually not, and this is going to be something that I have to deal with. It's annoying. And it's a deal breaker for a lot of people platonically and romantically to deal with someone with a chronic illness. And she was not in a place where she was willing to show who she was. She had figured out how to mask through her life and do all the things she needed to do during the day, be a good writer, do this, do that, be a great mom, and then come home and collapse on the couch. Right. And actually falling in love and dating and all of that would mean uncovering her secret shame Yeah. of, you know, being a sick person who doesn't shave her legs <laughs> regularly, you know, or ever cook anything. No, that's so scary. Even when you're when you're fine, like when you're just like normal and you don't deal with chronic illness, because that was something that I I recently have started dealing with is like my own chronic illness. So like opening this book and that really being there in the first chapter was what she says is, what is it like the luxury of not hurting? Like that was just such a beautiful thought to like come from her, like immediately you immediately know what she's dealing with and what she's going through and I didn't know Mm -hmm. that about you until I started reading afterwards but the way that you wrote about it with like such vulnerability and such truth to it I was like there's no way that this is not something that she knows personally and that was another one of the questions is if that what in this if you pulled it from your personal life that you're willing to you know open up to um uh did you take from your own life and that's we could definitely start there I mean, it, it just is my life, yeah. like everything that I, and I have to give it up to my editor because I was not that vulnerable in the first draft at all, because like a lot of chronic pain sufferers, we are very prone to suggestion. So like if someone is hurting in our vicinity, our receptors go off and we start hurting. Someone's talking about pain, we start feeling it. So I would just kind of gloss over the migraine parts. And my editor was like, absolutely not. Like, because the problem is everyone has had a headache before. And if you don't go into, you know, you need some coffee or maybe you're hungover or, you know, you haven't eaten all day. So if you, she was like, if you don't really go there and really explain what a migraine is like, no one's going to understand that this 
this woman is basically living in crisis. Yeah. Like it's not something that can be solved with a Tylenol, you know, or an yeah. aspirin. The amount of times people say like, oh, I have a migraine. I'm like, I think you just need to lay down. <laughs> yeah. 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 Have you drink enough water today? Um, so yeah, she really pushed me to go there. It was really hard to write those scenes. Like I would get nauseous and have to take a break. And yeah, it's, it's hard to put yourself out there like that, especially when it comes to chronic pain. Cause it's like, I think that her ex-husband sort of speaks to this a little bit mm-hmm. when he mentions that like, Oh, just think positive. It's <sighs> like, how am I supposed to, I'm hurting. Exactly. And if it were that easy, like, come on. If it were that Pretty easy. condescending. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not just sitting here thinking negatively on purpose. Um, right. That's so true. Is there anything else in it that like, uh, I guess the mother daughter relationship, is that something that you've pulled from your own life? Oh yeah. So, um, Eva and Audrey's relationship yeah. definitely mirrors m- the relationship with me and my daughter who was 12 when I started, actually when I finished up writing it. Yeah. She's a lot like her. Yeah. Oh, um, she's my favorite. Knowing that like, <laughs> My absolute favorite character. <laughs> yeah, she's very witty and... Does she have her own therapy business? <laughs> dialed in. She does not have a therapy side hustle, um, but she does what Audrey does, where she'll just drop this like totally illuminating gem in the middle of an adult conversation. Yeah. And then like turn back into a 12-year-old like in two seconds. But it's like, where did that come from? She's just always been really insightful. And I chalk it up to her growing up with, you know, a a single mom of a certain age. So like she was around a lot of 40 year old women talking. (laughs) So she became a 40 year old woman, you know, to some degree. I know. I love that. I love what you were saying earlier when we were talking about Gilmore Girls about how like you and your daughter, it's kind of like your own country of two, like your own Mm -hmm. language. And I feel like that makes so much sense that like having like a, a kid that kind of has the similar language to you that it would like, they would develop that sense of humor. But I think Mm -hmm. what you did so well with Audra, which I think actually is like a pitfall of Gilmore Girls, if I'm being honest, is that Audra like lives in this like sense of humor that Eva has they're like very much equals in some regard but she still has like such childish reactions because she's a child so Mm -hmm. there's that moment where they have a they have a fight and she's thinking like I've ruined my mom's life she's Mm -hmm. having this sort of breakdown because she has like what I would call like golden child syndrome where it's like especially with only children where it's like they want to make their mom proud they're a little bit of a caretaker to their parent just by nature of like just it being the two of them and Eva's chronic illness but she still has these reactions of a 12 year old that like are balanced so well because like she's you know she's taking Shane to therapy at some point but then she comes back and she still has these really real reactions that I just think you like nailed her so well it's Audrey not Audra yeah well yeah but a lot of people say Audra she's named after um named after Audrey Lord who is a you know, feminist poet and writer and, you know, and her name is pronounced different ways. So I say Audrey, but my agent says Audra. So it doesn't matter. That's actually a question that I have is she named her after, is her middle name Tony? Did I remember Mm -hmm. that correctly? That it's this thing of like, um, I feel like it's really like a mother's sort of like putting that energy on her daughter, these like two legendary women and wanting to like empower her in that way. But I mm-hmm. wonder if like Audrey's perspective of that, of like receiving that, if it's like an unintentional pressure that she's putting on her further in this like golden child, like the pressure that she feels from that, that Eva unintentionally put on her. Yeah. I think it's like this 
prophecy. That's it. And by the way, her name is Audra. It's Audra Tony Maya for my yeah, age. Yeah. Oh, I remember <laughs> there was one more. Yeah. Yeah. So like she has this, you know, incredible burden of perfection. Yeah. Like you can't fail with those names. And I think that's probably why I even named her those names. You know, she above, above all wants to break her generational curses and her generational trauma with her daughter. And so she bestowed greatness upon her, you know, at birth. And it's a lot to live up to. No, definitely. But um, I did see on Instagram recently, maybe that you dropped that there's potentially a YA starring Audrey coming out that you're writing. I'm writing it right now. Yeah. And she's 16. Okay. And she's dealing with all of this, like the pressure to be perfect and is kind of crumbling under the pressure. That's going to be amazing. <laughs> Cause she truly was like, I feel like just like her arc, the way that you like captured her and like had her switching between this like adult mindset back to who she was as a child was just like so perfect. So to hear that, like she was getting her own world where she was the focus, which I imagine we'll see Eva and Shane make an appearance yes. in that, which I'm mm-hmm. very excited about that. Um, but speaking of Eva and Shane, um, there was one point that like I really loved when they reconnected and kind of getting this like sense of like who they were. Um, but there's this moment where Shane comes in and takes over, you know, the um, what is it? They're having the panel mm-hmm. and um, he starts talking about her books cursed because she writes vampire erotica. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. How many times do you hear people say that they want to read cursed? Ever, all the time yeah <laughs> like I read that and I was like let's find a book just like that um right. but he comes in and he has such complimentary wonderful things like he gives this monologue about her book and like as like knowing that's her love interest you're kind of like swooning you're like he gets it he gets this book that she written that she's written he's so mm-hmm. proud of her but then you have to step back for a minute and in Eva in that moment is like the only reason that this is getting like the praise that it's getting is because a man is telling everyone how yeah. wonderful it is. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, there's no way that there's not some sense of truth to the way that Tia's, I guess, author life has gone in that moment of like, you want to swoon for it. Cause you're like, you get it. But then you're also like, why couldn't this have been like on my own? Yeah. That people understood it like this, you know, the genre that I write in is not respected. Yeah. You know, I, if, you know, it's the Nathaniel Hawthorne quote, easy reading is damn hard writing. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, because women are the are the number one, you know, demo for romance novels. Everyone thinks it's silly. Yeah. Oh, you know, what's really weird is I was scrolling through Instagram looking at the Seven Days in June tag just to see like what anyone would say. And there was this one girl who she loved it. She connected with it so much. But then someone in her comment section asked, I'm really confused why you would read a book like this, because I know that you have a strong connection with your partner. I thought that romance was only for lonely dreamers. What? And I was like, and it just like you talking about it. And I was like, I don't think that Tia's reading that because she wants to be haunted by clowns. Like, right. That I was like, there's like, I took such offense to that because I was like, I mean, like, we're all a little bit lonely some days, but I'm not reaching for romance because I don't have a partner or that because I don't. So like reading that, I was like, oh my God. And it that's why like I pulled that quote out from Shane saying that because I was like, there is this misconception that like, we're just reading these for like the spicy scenes because we're right. quote unquote lonely dreamers. 
That is wild. I actually, that's one I've never heard before. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not taken seriously. And I think anything, you know, movies, TV shows, books that have a high, you know, place high value on emotional content, you know, becomes silly. And it isn't until a man validates something that, that we pay attention. I mean, we see it across all forms of media. And I've been on panels with, where I'm the only female author or I'm the only, you know, romance author and, or the only fiction writer. And in all of those instances, I've been made to feel like fluff. Like I had someone on a panel once called my books, fluff. you know, oh, that's what these, they say to Eva. Yeah. In these um, trying times, we need fluff like yours, you know? So yeah, it's, I, that was definitely taken from real life. Yeah. Oh no. I, and I hate that because it's because women love it, mm -hmm. which before we get into like some of the spoiler questions, I wanted to do a very like TikTok thing, which was like, if you have not read this, I want to give you like two quotes that like I've picked out that might convince you to read it. Um, and one of them is like literally wrote, oh damn, in the margins next to this because yeah. it was so, it really got me, which is one thing she whispered her lips by his jaw, which is already just so hot <laughs> um she didn't want anyone to overhear before I forget what's that stop writing about me and then in a voice both raspy and low and so so familiar Shane said you first when I read that I was like I'm done for this is <laughs> I like I think I finished the rest of the book like that night after I read that because that was so so perfect and incredibly hot um wow. and then later on in the book Shane says I never realized I was lonely he said until I met you and I wasn't anymore and I feel like that really captured the essence of the two of them and what they went mm -hmm. through. And if you have not read the book and those two quotes speak to you, you definitely should. Um, but now we're going to move into some of the spoiler questions, some things that I've been avoiding talking about because I don't want to like ruin anything for anyone. So the rest of this chat is going to have spoilers. So if you want to go and read it, pause and then come back and listen, you can. I have been a Book of the Month member since 2019. Getting their signature bright blue box delivered to my door has been the most fun part of my month for years. Book of the Month's mission is to help readers discover new books they love and to promote the work of emerging authors. Their editorial team reads hundreds of new titles, making it so easy to pick your next read. I only have to browse their highly anticipated selections to find my next favorite book. What did you end up picking for May? I picked a book I know is going to be the perfect beach, lake, park, back porch, basically outdoor sunny anywhere read. And that is The Paradise Problem. Oh my God, I loved that one. I know you love Christina Lauren, but this is actually my first time reading a book by them. The Paradise Problem is a bit like if Succession was a rom-com taking place during a wedding week on a tropical island. That is actually the perfect description for that book. Fans of our show will love it for the complex family relationships and the banter between these two as they fall in love. I cannot wait to take it to the park to read. What did you pick? Speaking of complex family relationships, I picked Real Americans by Rachel Kong. This book takes a deep dive into the Chen family via a nonlinear storyline as Lily falls in and out of love, and 15 years later, her son Nick starts wondering who his biological father is. I love that we never stray too far from a good story of family drama, but all the books from Book of the Month are good, so you can't go wrong. You also can't go wrong with the price. New release hardcovers can be so expensive, but go to bookofthemonth.com and use code PASTEL to get your first book for just $5 this month only. That's code P-A-S-T-E-L at bookofthemonth.com to get your first book for $5 with free shipping always.
but we were talking before about the complexity of like the Easter eggs. Um, some of them were like the figure eight, like when mm. that like was soothing him, that all of these are like basically things that destroyed me. The cursed, <laughs> like the entire title of her book being like a quote from her mom when she says you can't make them say because the Mercier women are cursed. Mm-hmm. Um, the cameo ring, his mantra. It's like these, all of these little Easter eggs that you put in there was just like scrolling back through our book club before this was literally just people like all exclamation points, like sobbing emojis when we would get to these points because they're just so perfect and clever and really make the book what it was. Oh, I love to hear that. Thank you. That's that's my favorite part, doing that. One of my favorite things about Shane is um, that he and Eva are kind of introduced in the same way, where she, we talked about earlier, that she is scared of um, like putting herself out there and someone getting to know her. And he's introduced as being scared to try. And I love mm-hmm. that like even in their adult lives, they're having these, um, you know, these parallel lives of like very different things that they're running from, but kind of the same moment that they're trying to get away from. Yes. I mean, well, they are almost doubles of each other. And that's what they find out on the bleachers that when they first meet each other is that they... I mean, without sounding like cliche, like it's an other half kind of a moment. Yeah, like a um, faded love. Yeah, faded love, and and no one, no one in the world understands the other the way Quite the like other they do. does. Yeah, the way they do. Yeah, and um, there's there are just things that they inherently get. The scene when they're you know in the emergency room and she needs pills and he knows what to do and she you know it's obviously very very toxic and bad but you know they have like a sixth sense when it comes to each other yeah um and they both have no family so they become each other's family very very fast and I've had relationships like I mean I do have a family but yeah I I I, (laughs) I've had relationships like that where you meet and it's like oh there you are yeah you know, like, okay, this, I've been waiting for you. Um, and it all makes sense. Like your brains were just already connected before, before they got there. No, Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think that talking about them as when they were teenagers is, um, they go through like very traumatic, dark time together, but they're both there. And I think the way that you wrote about the seven days that they spend then with like kind of the self-destructive tendencies that they have there is so, like it's so authentic and it's not in a way that like, you know, people can write about that and it's kind of like a gruesome way to retell it. And then it's kind of not inappropriate is the wrong word, but it just doesn't feel like it fits the narrative. But the way that you write about these teenagers who see the effects of the other person's self-destruction and see how self-soothing it is, but like mm-hmm. place them in that time in their lives of like, what could I do about it other than just be here with them through it as they're witnessing it, I thought was just so well done. Just the way that you did that. It was um, just very considerate to anyone who's gone through that. Yeah. Well, I I wanted to treat both of their self-destructive tendencies with grace and not be judgmental about them. And I didn't want even Shane to judge each other either. So there are these moments where one of them is doing something that's scaring them, but they let them do it because, you know, it's like, well, I have my own stuff that is weird or scary or bad, you know, so I guess this is just what we need to be doing right now. Is it healthy? No, 
But at the moment, perhaps it was what they needed. It's what they needed. No, definitely. And I didn't think about that until we were talking now that that's like such a Rome. That's their Romeo and Juliet moment. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so obsessed with that now. I like have to go yeah. back and reread it with that in mind. That's I love that so much. Um, but one of the things that when they get older and they're having this love that, you know, they kind of I took me far too long to realize that the seven days in June in the past and the seven days in June was also happening in the present. It wasn't until yeah. like the epilogue that I was like, oh my God, why did I not realize that it was, they were both happening over <laughs> the course of a week. That was my fault, not yours. Um, <laughs> but that we kind of get them to, to like this point where it's like they're, they do get to have the young love. They do mm-hmm. get to have this like playful sort of like relationship that they might have had without all of that trauma if they had just been like two normal kids um Mm -hmm. that met and I think that's my favorite part is that they just get they just get to be with each other like that yeah I wanted them to to have a young love feeling like once they settled into it as adults and yeah because they didn't get to be carefree um they were old when they were young so I, I I wanted to turn back time a little bit and let them have lighthearted moments. Which I loved. Um, the other part of it is like, I feel like with romances where you have multiple sort of main characters, we have definitely Eva and Shane, but Audrey and Lizette comes in as well to have like such full, perfect arcs on their own outside of each other and to execute it that well. I just, I think that's why I just, I literally can't stop complimenting this book enough because I just think it was so well done um and I think that my favorite part of that is like the cyclical nature of mother and daughter which I think is for anyone who loves Gilmore Girls I feel like this is like just a different version of that but told so differently with like different like implications to their relationship like when we have Audrey as she is having that sort of breakdown moment of like I ruined my mother's life she's like grandma Lizette she would she would love me and she would appreciate me Mm -hmm. whereas we have Eva who is sheltering her from that and like the real implications of her childhood and like how does she balance like telling her what it was really like um and I think that's one of those moments where the timeline when when to reveal what that revealing Lizette in the past and then showing her in the present that I think that if we'd seen her in the present first I think I would have been a lot more resentful of her but mm-hmm. learning about her in the past, you have this sympathy for this woman who's kind of trapped. Well, I'm obsessed with mothers and daughters and grandmothers and matrilineal, you know, lines. And um, I, yeah, it is a lot like Gilmore Girls with, you know, trying to break your toxic relationship with your mother when you have a daughter. And trying to preserve their relationship. Yes. And like their thought about them and seeing her as a feminist icon when, mm-hmm. what does she describe her as? Um, she smells like white diamonds and black drama is the way that she <laughs> just, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She wants to protect her daughter from her mother, basically. Yeah. And I love toxic moms. I mean, yeah. Mommy <laughs> Dearest was one of my oh, favorite yeah. movies growing up. She's like, oh God, you are the worst. Like poor Christina. And I'm always, but also Joan Crawford had like the worst childhood and they don't address it in the movie. Um, but she had a, a nightmare childhood. And um, I'm always interested in why a villain becomes a villain. Because, you know, villains don't know they're villains. No, they don't walk around saying that. (laughs) Exactly. They're just, you know, living their life. They're the main character in in their life. So that's how I wrote Lizette is not realizing that she was the bad guy, 
you know, even, you know, when she, she and Eva have that conversation towards the end and she's like, you know, not getting it at all. No. Um, and she doesn't have the tools to understand the ways in which she hurt Eva. Yeah. That's actually something that we, we had a Mother's Day episode last week with Gilmore Girls. And that was something that we were talking about is like part of healing a relationship like that is not only a self-awareness of where you're hurting someone, but like the willingness to own up to it and to like go your half of the distance with the problem. And that's definitely not something that Lizette was able to do. And you, you're sympathizing with her because you saw her in the past and what her life was like. Um, Mm -hmm. And someone said, what was, I guess, the inspiration for Eva's family history um, in that regard? This is so ridiculous. I've never even said this, I think. I've never, okay. So I am a massive early Hollywood fan. Like I'm talking silent era, twenties, teens. Um, and I've read all of the memoirs, all of the biographies, um, stars, directors, producers from back then, but mainly female actresses from back then, female actors. And Hollywood was a place people, women went to, if they were like the prettiest girl in their town, you know, in their small town, it's like, oh, I can go to Hollywood and become an extra, but not everyone had what it took to be, you know, a screen star. And so they ended up having to resort to nefarious deeds to get by. And I'm always obsessed with that sort of story of like thinking that you're star material, finding out that you're kind of not having to live by your wits but still feeling like carrying yourself like a star. Like there's one story of, um, I don't know if you're famil- familiar with like, you know, Busby Berkeley musicals from um, early, early, like black and white 1920s, 1930s. It's these big, huge musical productions um, with like a hundred girls, like kicking their legs and like making cool shapes. And it's like, yeah. These, oh yeah. You know, I'm sure you've seen, I've seen clips. clips for sure. Um, but it was like, hundreds of extras and they were all paid like you know 25 cents to do this but then they would be in full makeup and hair and glam and stuff and there was one oral history of hollywood that said that you know if they would film a scene on a friday the next friday there would still be girls walking around town in the makeup from the previous friday really like so in love with the glamour of it that they couldn't even wash their faces Wow. But they are like, you know, almost vagrants because they have no money. It's, I don't know. There's something about like lost glamour and faded dreams and having, you know, she's a pageant star, but didn't quite, you know, wasn't tall enough to model, wasn't talented enough to act. Like what happens to those people? So that's where Lizette came from. No, I love that. And especially, Especially because, like, I guess the women who are in the background of those scenes are getting cast because they're beautiful mm-hmm. and they come from their small towns where they're the most beautiful. So you think you're going to get a career because of this, because of this mm-hmm. beauty that you've been, quoting, to quote Eva, the kind of selling. But yeah. then when that doesn't work out for you, it's not sold to the right people. It gets sold to the wrong people and ending up, oh, I love that so much. Yeah. yeah. Oh, someone asked if you would ever write more about Eva's, like, the backstory. I guess kind of like the book that Eva is writing, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to, but I want to write my story about Eva. So my mom is also French Creole from Louisiana and, and you know, the 
history is just totally fantastic. And my dream is to go to Louisiana and write, you know, that book. So hopefully one day I will, but it will be my story instead. Yeah, no, yeah, no, that makes so much sense. I would love that. I think that that's something that once we got to the end and like the people were doing their reflections, that's something that they were talking about. They're like, I love this book, but I think I also want to read Eva's story. So I think that there a lot of our listeners would really love that. I know that you're stretched for time, so I have two questions left. Um, mm-hmm. But someone asked, were Shane and Eva always going to come back together in the end? Yes. Always from the very beginning? Yeah. Because <laughs> there was a well, moment. Well, first of all, I know it's, you can't really tell. There's a moment where you're not sure. And we're like, is she going to do this to us? (laughs) I know. Well, first of all, it's not technically a romance unless you have an HEA happily ever after. There's that trust with an author and a reader that that's going to come. Yeah. So like you can't, you can't not do that. Yeah. And there's that comfort in knowing you pick up a romance, you know, that it's going to end, you know, you know, it's going to have a happy ending. So the interesting part is how we're going to get there. Yeah. So yeah, they were never not going to be together. Though I do think that they need a lot of therapy. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because I there was that moment where you think where you're not sure, because one of my favorite parallels between them is that Shane didn't leave Eva, like he was forced to go away because right. And like, maybe he needed to Maybe they did need to separate, but when we get to the end, he has the option to kind of like use her again to mask his pain, Um, Mm -hmm. but he does decide to leave her and not leave her with this pain. And like, that's just so heartbreaking. And there's this moment where you're like, if these two don't get back together in this epilogue. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But the last question that someone had, there's like so much depth to this book. There's so much darkness, but there's so much joy and witty banter. Was there Mm -hmm. one part of that was easier or like, or harder, but like the core of the question is, what's a part of the book that you're most proud of? Honestly, I think pulling off making such a dark start end up being real. Yeah. Because that was a heavy lift. Because you could write that off as just like insane teenage hormones, frontal lobes not developed, (laughs) you know, destructive, toxic, you know, chaos. But having to to show the reader how deeply connected they were despite all of that or because of all of that um, and make them believe that, make the reader believe that they really should be together. That was really, really hard. So I'm proud of being able to do that. No, and to that, I have my favorite quote in the whole book, which actually really speaks to that, which is, it's actually in the epilogue when it's a voice note that Eva sends to Shane because they've taken this space um, and she's kind of given this boundary that she doesn't want to hear from him. But she says, I'm not ready to hear your voice, but I know you're in pain, so it might help you to hear mine. And like, I like, I even like, I like kind of tear up reading that right now because it's like, that is such like a deeply loving thing that like that soulmate shit that you're like, yeah, I, I know that you need space and you know that I need space, but I'm going to hold space for you in this. And it's like, you yeah. know that they can get through anything with just that little moment. And like, that was my absolute favorite part because there's so there's so much of like, there's just so much love in that, that like, mm-hmm. I think that like just expressing that there that like completely nailed it with that line. Yeah. Like what there. a gift to give someone. Yeah. You know? Like, I can't really talk to you, but, like, I know you need this. I know you need this, yeah. Yeah. And that was more so than any other moment in the book. I just, like, I, those ones, like, had to close it for a second, cry, come back to it. (laughs) Oh, I love to hear that. (laughs) That was so much of this book where I was just, like, I read, like, 
I think like the first 70 pages, like over a course of a couple of days. And we were reading this over the course of a month, but I finished the rest of it in one night because it's mm. just more of a book that like devours you versus like you devouring it because it's just, it's so good. Five stars from me. One of my favorite books this year. Oh, thank you. I know I'm a little bit late to the train because it came out in 2021, um, but it was the perfect first pick for our club. And I'm so grateful that I got to talk to you today to kick off our first author interview with the pod. Um, but I do want to mention before you go that you actually have a movie coming out on mm-hmm. June 23rd for your book, The Perfect Find. Yes. Um, it's starring Gabrielle Union, which... Oh my God. Could there have been anyone more perfect? <laughs> I, no one believes... I mean, you wouldn't believe it unless you saw it, but I had Gabrielle... As I was writing The Perfect Find, I had her on my vision board really? as inspiration for my character. A literal physical vision like, board, cu- like, like cutting out a Mac. <laughs> yeah, like not Pinterest. No. Oh so, my God. Yeah. I love that. And I don't think people realize how hard it is to get from like the manuscript to like next mm. month, June 23rd on Netflix, Gabrielle Union. Crazy. Because like you have to like, the rights go away. You announce it. Then people mm-hmm. don't follow through. There's a hundred yeah. different TV shows and movies that like, this feels like, I feel like a heartfelt congratulations for like this feat of getting to this point. Thank you. So if anyone wants to watch, it's um, June 23rd on Netflix, The Perfect Find. And did I read correctly that Seven Days in June is going to be a TV show? It is. It is. But now, you know, with the writer's strike and everything, we're just waiting it out to um, get back going with production. But yeah. Was there like a like sort of a decision between movie and TV for that? It was never thought of as a it was never pitched as a movie. It was always TV. I feel like it's a perfect TV because it's these seven days. Like it just makes mm-hmm. it just makes so much sense. So I'm so I was so excited because I was just looking up about you and there was like a little blurb at that at the end. And I was like, Eva and Shane on the big screen. I can't wait for that. Yes. If you've made it this far and you haven't read Seven Days in June, definitely pick it up. It's a perfect book. Um, can't wait to read more from you. And if people want to find you, where can they find you? Um, Tia Williams writes on Instagram, on Twitter. Tia W underscore writes and then Tia Williams on Facebook and my website is TiaWilliams.net, which I need to update. And then your book on basically any bookstore you go to. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for joining me. This was so wonderful to have you. Thank you for having me. This is such an honor. It was so much fun.